urgency is not the same thing as criticality. The criticality, like the, the weapon system that my, my client works on, is has a 16-layer bill of material. So if you're down here building one of the lowest level components and one of your guys out sick, so, well, darn, I'm, I'm going to under-execute my throughput, that is going to have a, a file wave effect for five months. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm, Elevate IQ. How hard could job sequencing be? Isn't it all about the order of the jobs? Yes, but there could be several rules that could be used depending on your strategy. Earlier due date, longest processing time, shortest processing time, first come, first serve, and least setup hours to name a few. So what are the best practices when it comes to job sequencing? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-function experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss job sequencing best practices. We discussed how the competing priorities could be problematic for the shop floor and how job sequencing rules affects the outcome for on-time delivery. Finally, we covered several stories related to job sequencing. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation, and we always have an expert panel here. For today, we are going to be talking about very, very, very religious topic. I'm pretty sure we are probably going to have a little fun uh, because we have OT, we have ERP. Job sequencing is always going to be a passionate topic. Uh, and obviously, Mark, you know, we are probably going to get a history lesson here. Uh, <laughs> you know, always fun with Mark. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we have Tom today. So Tom is probably going to counter the history lesson far deeper, I guess, you know, with philosophy. So we are going to have a lot of fun uh, doing all of that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am your host, Sam Gupta, principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. On that note, today I am going to start with Mark. Mark, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Sam. Uh, my name is Mark Lilly. I'm president and CEO of LillyWorks. We help manufacturers solve the late problem. Um, and that is essentially on-time delivery, reducing lead times, and uh, all that wonderful uh, stuff around managing production. So I'm very excited to be here today to uh, talk about job seeking. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Mark. Dave, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Absolutely. Hey, everyone. My name is Dave Griffith. I run a company called Kaplan Solutions. Uh, we help manufacturing companies go through digital transformations that pay for themselves. Uh, with that, we work kind of at the edge of technology on the OT side and operations in order to find and help implement profitable solutions. 
for your organization. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Narav, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yeah, absolutely. Narav Shah, I'm CEO of AdServe CRP. We're a premier Acumatica partner. Uh, we implement Acumatica in all you know, various different industries in manufacturing. Manufacturing is actually one of our specialties. Make to order, make to stock. Um, a lot of good stories to share today. Um, I'm looking forward to talking with the rest of the panelists. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Narav. Tom, joining for the first time. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Certainly. I'm Tom Pierce. I'm the founder and president of uh, Integrated Information Systems. We go by I2S for short. I've uh, spent my career in the Department of Defense. We have uh, written, implemented, designed, maintained, and done all kinds of enhancements to the MRP and ERP solutions for a defense contractor in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, most recently, our focus has been on the dual role of business intelligence tool and analytical services. So we get heavily involved in cost analysis, schedule analysis, certainly at the root of schedule analysis is getting work moving through the factory in an efficient way. Very complex system. Um, uh, I'm really looking forward to the insights from, from the panel. Amazing. I'm super excited as well. Thank you so much for being here, Tom. So, Mark, I'm going to start with you. Before that, audience, uh, if you're joining for the first time, make sure you post your questions and comments. I typically don't have a lot of questions, so I'm going to rely on you guys to send me questions so that I can ask those. Uh, on that note, I am going to start with the first question with Mark. And Mark, when I look at the job sequencing, and you talk about this a lot, and I have experienced this today firsthand. Okay, I was running late, as you know, just to make it a little embarrassing for me for this show. Okay, and I was thinking, okay, I'm probably going to make it by 5.30. And within that time, Dave pings me and now I have to respond to him. Okay, so now that is the edit minute that I did not plan. <laughs> so my job sequence is all over the place, right? So uh, do you want to set the stage overall in terms of job sequencing, what it is and why manufacturers should care for that, Mark? Sure. So um, I, I, there's two main meanings for me around job sequencing, right? One is one is the prioritization. And even within the prioritization, it's about when uh, when is the right time to start a job that is that is uh, introduce it into WIP, right? You can be purchasing or, or you know, kidding, putting together the materials for it. But when when is the right time to to introduce that into the the production environment. Once it's in production, what prioritization is best to use in order to to manage it in the best way through through production? Um, so so that so the prioritization is uh, is one part of job sequencing. When I hear job sequencing, the other the other thing I hear is within the the context of a particular work center. Um, oftentimes, a machine. Uh, I may want to sequence jobs um, based upon similar characteristics in order to save setup times, right? So um, you can uh, optimize your your setups, right? Reduce the amount of time you're spending on setups by doing that. Um, and then there's there's certainly some offsets to that, right? Because typically folks will will look at uh, from a costing perspective, they may calculate a unit cost and say, gee. You know, based on these calculations, if I spend less time doing it, my unit cost for the parts that I'm producing through production is going to go down, saving money for the company. Right. Does it really overall? Maybe, maybe not. Um, there are certainly some side effects to it, one of which is uh, is near and dear to my heart, and that is on time delivery. 
because sometimes manufacturers going a little crazy with that concept and trying to even even um, uh, releasing work based upon the batches of work that they want to save setups on. And it, again, it can have some really good effects, but it can also make a lot of orders late that aren't in those batches that, that it, as an unintended effect and uh, and really hurt a, uh, a manufacturer's on time. To- okay, so amazing insights there. And by the way, I love the bit about priority because when you think about priority, priority could also be all over the place, okay? Depending upon whose priority you are talking about. So in this particular case, when we talk about the, the customer's priority, obviously it is going to be at the customer level, customer master level, you are going to have priority there. But when it goes to OT people, they don't necessarily understand how customers work, right? So for them, everything is going to be about shop floor. So the priorities are going to be all over the place. So overall, in terms of the sequence, uh, Mark, let's say if we talk about how we are going to be utilizing these priorities. So are we going to be consuming the priority that are set at the customer level and then we are going to make the best decision while prioritizing the jobs or how does that work overall handshake in terms of priority that we have the, at the customer level and then what we are sending it to on the shop floor? It's a great question. And there's there's a number of different ways, that certainly valid ways in which to prioritize work in production, right? There are priorities that will maximize your capability to deliver your orders on time as much as your overall capacity will allow. There's uh, a prior, prioritization methods that will maximize the amount of revenue or or throughput that's going to get through production regardless of of when the customers want it right or when when due dates are that sort of thing there's priorities that will maximize replenishment levels so now we're getting into are we are we make to order uh, generally are we more make to stock are we both and that's that's a real struggle with prioritization as well as manufacturers maybe you may be at a particular work center and you may have, you know, two or three make-to-order jobs with a specific customer want date on them, right? That seems pretty clear what the priorities might be. And but then you have another three jobs that are for make-to-stock material, um, and re- that may have a, a certain level of risk of of stocking out if we don't do those jobs. So how do you reconcile that? How do you prioritize that? Is a real challenge. Could not agree more. Great insights, Mark. Thank you so much. And Dave, I'm coming to you. And you know this, okay? You know the rules of the game. Anytime Dave is going to be on the show, it has to be IT versus OT. But today, it is going to be OT versus everybody else. Okay. Uh, because that's what job sequencing is in my mind. So, <laughs> you know, anything you could add? Uh, no, no. I, I I love that, Sam. And, and, I, and I am laughing, and I was laughing as, as Mark was talking, because kind of from the OT, from the operations perspective, I think of job sequencing as how we make the schedule act actually work, right? So, so, so many times... We'll, we'll we'll say the the IT folks, right? The customer service folks, they they just keep shoving more and more. Yes, our customer would want this, you know, made to order item. It's typically 56 weeks of lead time. They would like it tomorrow. Please go, please go magically find 56 weeks that you can go run over the next 24 hours and give it to me tomorrow because that's when I, that's when I would like it tomorrow. So I find kind of the job sequencing as the how do we actually make the schedule come to life. And we, we can have the debate as to how we should schedule things kind of as Mark alluded to versus made to stock versus made to order. What happens when our replenishment levels get down 
in there, but kind of my, my major com comment on job sequencing is m almost every single uh, every single one of the products that we're going to have, th they're not homogenous, right? Like I don't put the same, uh, I'm not a beer manufacturer. I don't make one beer down the same line. I make, a, you know, a hundred million cans of it every single year. This line is just for this beer. I take it down, I don't know, 12 hours a week to go clean it. And then it just runs this. So, so most of the time in the rest of the world, We've got a bunch of different job locations, and each of those job locations take different amounts of time depending upon what part that we're looking to order. So it becomes kind of the balancing act of not only do I have to sequence this particular end piece, but I also have to go try to run it through one, five, 10, 50 different uh, parts, uh, 50 different machine units. And then when I run it through all of these machine units, I have to figure out how to sequence each of those units individually so I can ideally, at the end of the, the day, week, month, year, have as many actual parts that hit the on-time orders as Mark had alluded to in the beginning. So it's, it's a very complex process that really good companies will understand how long each of these machine units should take. And we're going to give a customer a realistic, it's going to take 56 weeks in order to get this part when they call to order us, as opposed to, yes, I can give you this thing tomorrow. But, but it's a delicate balancing act. And you have to not only look at the, the part as a whole, but you have to look at all of the individual jobs and sequences that you have to do on those machines and prioritize what's important today, what can take a couple of days to wait, and when do I need to get this done in the end? Yeah, some very interesting insights. In fact, let me see, uh, the way you are trying to describe the scheduling, I like to compare this with the airline business, okay? <laughs> and I'll give you a little story here overall of the airline business. So when you go and buy a ticket for any of the airline, you are dealing with, let's say, the cashiers. They are really interested in selling the highest, you know, ticket item. But once you actually buy and check in, you, uh, you know, uh, after that, when you deal with the scheduling people inside, the people who are going to be standing standing behind the, the counter, their job is to make sure you fly. Okay, their job is not to make sure that whatever uh, the the ticketing people would have told you before, they don't necessarily care for that. Okay, <laughs> so that in my mind, I think that's how scheduling is supposed to work, and that's mm -hmm. what you are trying to describe as well overall from the manufacturing perspective that okay you have told me that okay these are business class guys these are your economy guys okay i'm mm -hmm. gonna make sure that they get their seats there but you know my job is to make sure everybody flies Dave, any counter uh, commentary there by any chance no no i i think making sure everyone flies is a really good analogy I, I think the airline business is a really good analogy because at the end of the day if a customer gets their part and they get it late or, or or maybe slightly incomplete and you've got to ship them the, their luggage, you know, the next day or a couple of days later, they're not nearly as upset than if is they missed the flight and there's not another flight for you. So I, I think that that is a very good analogy. Uh, shipping and, and job sequencing is, is very much like the airline business. As long as people eventually get it, uh, nerves will come and they will almost certainly buy more from you uh, later, maybe because they have to buy more from you. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. And Rob is thinking, okay, now we are trying to decouple this whole, uh, you know, the, the booking of ticket thing, then the scheduling. How is this all going to work overall from the system perspective? So, Narav, anything that you might be able to add from the make-to-order scenario where these two need to be incongruence, in my mind, uh, otherwise the scheduling is going to be off. So, anything that you might be able to share, Narav? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, job sequencing obviously has a lot of different branches to it, and, you know, elements to make it work properly at home, right? It's again, 
like almost planning, right? MRP and MPS, it's more of an art than a science, right? You have to understand your business. You have to understand your bottlenecks. You got to understand your people, right? And, you know, what is the best throughput? How is, you know, what's the best efficient way to take product coming in from one end of the door out the other end of the door, right? And it's, it's a lot of, you know, studies of internal uh, processes um, that's not only ERP, but, you know, time studies. You know exactly how long does something take to process right a lot of times erp systems get outdated uh with data because once those set up um you know routing times for example on specific items set up and run times no one goes back and modifies those right so even though they get better machines machines are doing better work right but they're still running on times that they set for older machines right or vice versa now you know you're already you know, not optimized at that point, right? So job sequencing is a lot about production optimization to get the most throughput out there. So as you look and do time studies, right, where should we look at, you know, reducing time, essentially? What happens, right? I had a customer, actually, they're a make-to-order customer, and they were losing a lot of time because they didn't realize the next person in line in that round step had no visibility of what production orders will be coming to them. Right. So they were basically sitting there, right, with product taking a little longer than it should because they did not understand that the previous operation was almost close to complete and will be at their operation within X number of hours. Right. So now you have a backlog of maybe material that's coming in. Right. Now, now you how are you going to optimize that? No one's looking at each routing and saying, oh, traveler and saying, oh, I should take this one before this one. They're just taking the next kid that's the closest to them at that point. Right. And start working on maybe that's not the one they need to be working on. So there was no visibility of what type of work is coming towards a work center to the next work center to them. So we created uh, processes and functionality around that particular scenario where they had dashboards. So as operate, previous operations becoming close to becoming completed, the next person in line in that work center knew exactly what pallets and what travelers they should be expecting with starting dates, with ending dates, and it was color coded, right? So now you're officially moving that prioritization the starting and ending dates of those travelers through your production floors and the worker could reasonably kind of start preparing for what's coming to their station. Cause the last thing you want them to do is once they get it and they get everything, then they start preparing, right? That time wasn't included already in the setup and runtime possible, right? What happened to that time? That's lost time now, right? That's going to be variances on the production order. Now you're going to, you, you, the production order is going to be late. And I'm telling you as many as, as, as much as customers like to track, anti-due dates, production orders being completed on time versus not completed, they're not tracking that well at all. And, you know, what happens is the customer in Mark's world, right? Everyone's like saying the, the order is late now. What do we do, right? Now, if you look at that process and try to figure out what is a bottleneck, who needs the information when to make sure that we are processing our orders more accurately, right? And scheduling and sequence these orders properly is where you're going to get the most value. Right. Some of this is system related. Some of it is process industrial engineering, guys. It's a term out there outside of ERP. And you need people that understand this, how routings work. Right. And how they need to work and they need to marry together with items when you're in a manufacturing environment. Mark, you have a comment you unmuted yourself. I, I sure. did. I do. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Nirav. I can't I can't help myself. Uh, number one, congratulations on the visibility from your dashboards phenomenal what you what you implemented there for that client you just described is a, an awesome execution system so that so that you focus the production folks 
on execution first before planning, right? And 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 that it sounds funny, but and I think that's what you did, whether you realized it or not. And you, your client had tremendous results for it. Um, this is this is the issue with the traditional scheduling model. And and I'll I'm going to take you to task a little bit on the word optimization because the reality is there's there's no computer system in the world today that can create an optimized schedule. Okay, mm-hmm. just just look up job shop scheduling on Wikipedia, or or even better, um, watch the movie called The Traveling Salesman exactly. from 2012. It's it's about the NP completeness, and in computer science, it's proven that if there are more than than only like three machines, it's like a really small shop. It simply becomes impossible to calculate the unoptimized production plan. Um, so so are there production plans? Sure. There are heuristics that backward finite scheduling, forward finite scheduling do. But this whole idea of trying to create a plan is really in the right place, except when you take that plan, however good it is, and bring it out to the dynamic production environment that's today's manufacturer, five minutes later, it's it's not worth the paper on, right? So so what you did by imp, by focusing the client first on executing the right way, I'm sure had huge benefits to them. Yeah, absolutely, it did. And and you're right, right? There's, like I said, planning and, and, and all these, right? They're more of an art than a science, right? There's not a true answer, right? It, it all depends on intimate relations with vendors, your your employees, right, with customers. But what you could do is really try to find the right balance, right? Find a decent lead time that you could actually commit to. I think that's the challenge, is, is not understanding what that lead time is, because it's constantly fluctuating. I'm thinking about our, our, our COVID, you know, pandemic we just went through, right? I mean, lead times were out the door. There, there was no way to really accurately forecast that. I mean, job scheduling and forecasting, what is that at, in that, at that time, right? I mean, exactly. but if, exactly. if you understood when you got the product in, you had a reasonable shot, right, of meeting some sort of thing, right, at, at that moment because yeah. you understood your process well enough. So I think, you know, coming back, Sam, it's, it's all, you know, job sequencing is, it has a tremendous effect with organizations up, upstream and downstream, and it has to, you know, be looked at in a holistic view, right? Nesting software is another, you know, huge thing in the in the industry right now. Some, you know, engineer make to order shop. Nesting software is, you know, where they could really improve their processes. They take, you know, a sheet of steel and they, they could form out, you know, six, seven, eight different customer orders at that time. Now, how do we plan that? How do you schedule that? How do you record the output of that, you know, very quickly and efficiently? So now the next person knows that now we're done cutting and you got the right cost and you got the right time allocated to it before it moves on to the next stage. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of movies technology okay. going fast. Yeah. Amazing insights there. The only comment that I would like to touch on Nirav, on your commentary is going to be your comment related to industrial engineers. Uh, and I completely agree. I mean, the whole process design, as well as the way you are going to be designing your ERP processes, it's a lot of engineering, to be honest, okay? And I'm going to actually call out my CFO brothers and sisters out there, to be honest. They all feel that they can implement an ERP, but there is a little bit of engineering involved there in my mind and that you have to have real deep engineering background to be able to really optimize customize iterate test mm-hmm. a lot is required there it's not supposed to be as easy thank you so much Naraf. so Tom, i know you are waiting to 
comment on whatever Mark has commented. And I can sense a little uh, presidential debate there between you and Mark. <laughs> Actually, I'm kind of rejoicing at all, all of the different things I'm hearing, and I'm not quite sure where to start. Mark, Mark I have to just congratulate you on the, what is, for me, the first use of the term want date instead of need date. I just wish so much that that was actually communicated during the sales process. Okay, we understand when you want it, but what actually happens if you don't get it on that day? And in the Defense Department, of course, the whole U.S. military has a very sophisticated scheme of prioritizing in a sense that most of us don't mean. You know, a priority one is a, a, a unit in the field with a system that is down. There are lives at risk. Mm -hmm. Certainly, I think in, in the medical community and others that are priorities like that. But so although I, I, I certainly resonate with the singular concept of priority, I, I understand it to have a limited meaning in terms of in what order are you going to do things? And that, to me, branches to the motivations for sequencing. And, and personally, I think there are four, uh, in practice, real uh, motivations. One of them is just urgency. Just if we do not make this date, really bad things happen. So, so, so it absolutely, you know, work overtime, lose sleep, double shift, whatever you have to do, get this thing done soonest. But urgency is not the same thing as criticality. You know, the criticality, like the, the weapon system that my, my client works on is has a 16 layer bill of material. So if you're down here building one of the lowest level components and one of your guys out sick. So, well, darn, I'm, I'm going to underdo, you know, under execute my throughput. That is going to have a, a biowave effect for five months. You know, five months from now, the guy in the last work center is going to be waiting on that part. So, and, and Nora, this kind of goes to your point about the industrial engineering. Uh, yes, absolutely. You can know how long it takes, but th there's only, if I, it, I'm, I'm not assuming that you're committing this fallacy. I've just, I have seen it committed by very confident industrial engineers of over expressing overconfidence in point estimation that, that, you know, when you have a very small coefficient of variance, and how long each one takes, but particularly in the overhaul world, but also in any kind of a com complex supply chain, the variability of time to make time has to be factor into the equation. So, you know, what, what do you want to do? Add one standard deviation, two standard deviations to mitigate the risk. You want to build in white space into your routings to absorb buffer. You want to make sure your, your people understand that if this component isn't ready on time, then maybe it doesn't have to be installed at the next higher assembly. Maybe the shortage can be rolled. So that kind of flexibility, I've had the privilege of learning from what I would call PhD level material planners. And 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 this kind of goes back to the mark your statement about there is no such thing as a perfect plan. You know that the plan's no no good once it's written. well, not all plans are written on paper. And and this is where I love the analogy of the planning, the intuitive, instinctive, skilled art of planning that a shortstop, a point guard, a quarterback, a, a head chef in a busy kitchen, they plan instantly. And then the people around them respond to body language as much as anything to know what to do next. But I really do think it starts, you know, kind of there's kind of a three tiered uh, way of turning an MRP plan into an execution plan. It, it starts with what is really important to the people that are paying the paychecks. You know, it starts in the owner suite. 
And then there's the manager in the dugout that is seeing things play out, watching the variables, and he needs to move somebody from this position to that position because he's seeing a bottleneck coming. That's sort of that, that tactical. And then there's the operational, the guy standing there at the machine that sees the problem coming that just yells over the, you know, the wall across the room and says, dude, I need that part now. That doesn't have to get written down, but it needs to happen. And, and one of the, I think, uh, Sam, I think I got involved in a debate, and I don't remember who it was with, with one of the guys that we uh, share communication with on LinkedIn yeah. uh, about just the, the rigidity of plans. That if you punish people for deviating from the published plan, you are killing critical thinking, critical analysis, innovative solutions. And the people that really make the factory work, it's like I've, you know, my other career, I, I, I've been a, a pastor of multiple churches. The person that runs the church is not the pastor. It's the church secretary. It's the person that knows everybody, knows who to call, knows who's mad, knows who needs, you know, the guys closest to the problem are the guys most likely to come up with an innovative solution. And sometimes the executive planning and even the software itself is the thing that needs to be more flexible. To, to respond to what the people that are actually touching the product know what's going on. Yeah, quick list. Uh, what's urgent, what's critical, what's important. There's also a fourth that I call Phil. One of my favorite stories when I started my business, for a guy from the name of Bruce Williams, he, he ran a custom cabinet shop, but it was extremely seasonal demand. And he mm -hmm. just absolutely couldn't afford to lay off and hope to hire back his skilled craftsmen. So he had a neighbor that was just complaining one day he was in the shipping business and he was just having all kinds of trouble keeping a steady supply of pallets. So the cabinet maker said, I had an idea. How about when my guys don't have enough work to do, I just make pallets for you and I sell them to you at cost, no margin. So now we're back to what are we optimizing? Forgive me, Mark. I don't like the word either. Minimize, maximize, optimize, elusive. What are we trying to improve most? Well, utilization is one of them. You want to make productive use. I know you like know, older, I would fuss at me for the goal. You know, it's it's not the ultimate measure. But when you have the flexibility to keep your people and machines at, in productively engaged, even if they're doing something three months early or something that your most important customer doesn't need, it kind of keeps the flow. Last point. My favorite prioritization system of all is what I call BOM. I think we talked that, about that before, Sam. It's uh, at BOMB, it's get the boss off my back. <laughs> Whatever your boss is yelling at you the most is what you're going to do first. And that understanding the relational part of how priorities get communicated from top down, uh, it, it's really the root cause of an awful lot of dysfunction in organization. It's just the way people beat each other up. For, for lightness. Do you, do you have a comment? Sorry. Uh, yes. No, no, thank you. So, so I, I generally really like uh, all of Tom's comments. I guess uh, I like Tom's comment towards the kind of captains on the floor who generally know what needs to be done in those critical thinking moments. What scares me is the fact that we're going to lose all of them at some point in, in the not too distant future. And 
if we don't do a good job of writing that down or teaching that or training that or finding ways to pass that on to the next generation, we're, we're going to run into the solution like we see NFL football teams of you've got a generational quarterback, you've got 10 or 12 great years, and then they, they ride off into the sunset, and then you've got eight or 10 terrible years while you look for the next person who can possibly fill that role. And, and in the manufacturing industrial space, I think everyone knows we can't afford 10 bad years where right. we don't have those, those critical thinking, critical training abilities. And so uh, the, the, the question or comment is, is how do we get to the point of being able to teach and train that to the next group coming up? Or, or find, how, how are we able to, to keep that internalized within the organization so we don't lose that when everyone up and retired? Absolutely. May I respond? Yeah, yeah, please, please, please. Yeah. One of the things that, that kind of grieves my soul as a, as an, you know, a, a gray beard myself and my middle son works for me and he's been working for me for 15 years and he's learned a lot from me, but as in all father son dynamics, he didn't do everything the same way his dad did. And, and so that, that kind of grieves my soul a little bit. But one of the guys I've learned from this, this material planner, his son has now filled in for his shoes and is the lead material planner. So there is an awful lot that can be transmitted organically, relationally. But all of your points are, are, are very well taken. And I think I would even like offer an amendment to what you said. And that is that the profession of planning, I don't think gets the respect it deserves. No offense to industrial engineers and, you know, enterprise architects and software developers of all stripes, but the a career progression of being an expert planner. Uh, in, in my experience, they tend to be, you know, underpaid, undervalued and treated as interchangeable parts. Uh, and your quarterback illustrated me. Sorry, I'm a huge Peyton Manning fan. And it was a little bit hard for either the Colts or the Broncos to fill in behind him. Every team, it's a wonderful illustration. And I really do think the career development, the the recognition of planning as a career path, where we're talking, you know, ERP, MRP, SOP, IP, they all have planning in them. What, what, What is this? What do you major in in college if what you want to be or in high school or in trade school? What do you put on your resume? If what you really want to do with your life is be a master expert planner. Okay, amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. Mark, did you have a comment as well? You unmuted, I guess, yourself. No? Uh, yes. Yeah, I just wanted to say, that, Tom, yeah, I number one, um, that you brought up Goldrat is interesting. We certainly um, utilize TOC principles in what we do, certainly not exclusively. We have lean, we use uh, a mathematical Q theory, six sigma, you know, mm-hmm. all, all of these principles together. Um, uh, but sir, actually what your, I, I think Goldratt would be, um, would applaud what, what your client did in, in, in the cabinet maker in terms of utilizing the resources that he had and, and charging at least costs to cover, cover that part of it. Now, if he, if he charged, if he charged one penny more, what Goldratt would say, of course, <laughs> that's throughput accounting and that penny would go right to the bottom line. Right. So so even just covering costs is much better than what most people do, quite frankly. Right. And that is if you're making what my dad used to call while yours, right, while you have an order for 100 this month, <laughs> make 500 more. Right. Then that none of that is going anywhere except you know in sitting in inventory at exactly. 
and that and lean would call that ways too. Yes. Yes. Okay. Amazing guys. So we can do one more round. Um, and that is going to be any sort of stories that you might have related to job sequencing. Obviously, you know, we want to hear any sort of train wrecks that you may know. Uh, you know, that's my favorite part. So any stories, Mark, any other comments over comments? Mark, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think um probably the 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 biggest thing that we see is um folks folks just struggling with the scheduling concept, right? Um uh and, and that's why just from from our experience, the the the, the traditional finite scheduling folks have, have tried it and it's it's very few whether it was our ERP systems whether it was profit key or visual um, or we we see it in really just about any ERP system regardless and there there are some ERPs with phenomenal finite scheduling functionality embedded in them just incredible but most companies in spite of that struggle with it and they revert they're reverting back to to spreadsheets there's a number of reasons one of them goes right to the heart of this topic, and that is the prioritization method of due date, right? Which seems to make perfect sense. Um, however, and, and you can look at this both ways from a make to stock environment. Um, due date is, again, really important piece of information. That's when your customer wants it. But depending upon how long there is of, of, of work that needs to be done, Narav mentioned a, a lead time, right? And 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 I implied this, and Tom's mentioning a buffer to to buffer that. So the the work that needs to be done, right? So so most make to order manufacturers have will have jobs that are due say two months from now, as an example. That's more in danger of being late. It's got a higher risk level, right. Tom, right? Than than a job that's due even a week from now. But if you're always prioritizing things based on looking at stuff that's due earliest. You're not going to see that. You should be working on that two month job now, uh, and 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 let that that week job, do, the one due in a week, let that sit for a day or two while you work to make sure you're not going to get late when you're two months down the road. So make to, but it also applies in make to stock. And what's interesting is by by following a, a due date in make to stock. For example, if you have a list of of production orders. And they they all have the same the same due date, for example. Um, which one really? There, one of those is probably most important. And and which one is the one that's most important? It's the one that whose part is most in danger of stocking out, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's the one you probably. But folks don't have visibility of that, so it makes it makes that come. And then and then you bring in make to order as well. It it makes it a very complex problem that most manufacturers uh, continue to struggle with. Yeah, completely agree. Great insights, Mark. Thank you so much. Uh, Dave, coming over to you, uh, any stories that you might be able to share and comments? Over? Absolutely. So so first, I'd like to say, I, I think the, the comments of a good schedule or materials planner is uh, is cannot be understated, right? That they are worth their weight in gold. And at first, I was going to say could be the most valuable person within the organization. But then I realized we're talking to CFOs. So they're very possibly the <laughs> second most valuable person within the organization behind you, CFO, that, that we, we are currently talking. Uh, but no, I don't think that, that that can be understated. They either will move everything along smoothly. When it goes smoothly, you won't know they're there. And the, 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 the joy of not knowing you're there might make you undervalue them, which you absolutely shouldn't, <laughs> because if they are gone, then you realize how catastrophic not having a good materials planner um, is. 
Uh, so as as people, longtime listeners know, I do a lot of work with uh, with, with facilities. Um, earlier this year, I worked with a food and beverage facility. Uh, we, we walked in and th they generally had a good schedule. The schedule did change five or six times a day, which is generally very bad uh, for any facility. Um, but but similar to, to Narev's conversation, uh, they would they would go schedule the front the front half of the process, and then things would sit, and maybe they would be in spec, maybe they wouldn't be in spec, maybe we take 20 or 30 hours of downtime before we can package them. Uh, similar to Narev's uh, example, uh, we, we did a sim similar kind of two hours of a dashboard on a screen, slap up an iPad with a schedule, and suddenly they were able to execute the schedule. What, what an amazing thing. Um, a little bit further downstream, so this group did, uh, they, they canned things almost exclusively. And for about six weeks while I wasn't there, they had a missing step in the sequence uh, of the line. And, and that, that step was we, we didn't quality control any of these cans. So I, I go and I, I come back and, and I come back and they had not done uh, the, the job sequence of like literally checking the, the rims of the cans to make sure they didn't leak. And I come out and the warehouse is just full of six weeks worth of rework that had to be done because uh, we, we did a poor job sequencing the, the quality control, which was the worst uh, instance that, that this group in particular had had that I witnessed, but is not the first time that it had happened, that they very regularly uh, struggled uh, to, to do that properly. Um, but, but no, uh, that, that's kind of, I feel like Sam brings me on to listen to catastrophic stories. So that, that's the best catastrophic story of job sequencing that, that, that I can provide. I, I've got a couple more if we, we do come back around. So. Do you want to, uh, you know, cover... Probably one more. I think we can go for one. Okay. So, so, yeah, so I, absolutely. So, yeah. so on on the flip side, I was working with an oil refinery, and they they were very continuous, right? So, so, so they would come in. They would have a, a we'll just call it a pipeline of oil that comes in. It goes through a stack. It goes through a bunch of chemical um, and other um, processes, and, and they get different levels of that they get different levels, different grades of this that they can then go and blend. And and this group. Uh, continued to have the issue of we never know how much of what we have at any point in time. And so because they were out of sequence, that they didn't understand what they had, they would regularly overrun the, the stock of, of, you know, one particular thing. So one thing they would have, and they would have to dump maybe like once a quarter is a whole bunch of diesel. So all of the businesses in the area, th their internal sequence of we'll go buy like two tanker trucks full of diesel when they're selling it below cost. And they, they were getting a dollar or $2 off um, a, a gallon because they were able to go purchase it when when they were well overstock and they were unable to kind of plan based upon demand and everything else into the ability to to go ahead and sell uh, based upon demand. And so they just taught everyone to only wait until we have well overstocked ourselves and have to dump it uh, for, for pennies for the dollar before we come purchase. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. Nirav, any stories, comments over comments? Yeah, no, a lot of a lot of good commentary and feedback. The audience, is, you know, enjoying the conversation that we're all having here. I do have one story. There was a, there's a manufacturer that I, that I was implementing, and uh, they implemented lean. They did cell manufacturing, 
and uh, had a bunch of cells all across the, uh, you know, uh, the plant, but they were coming on to the first ERPs. So when we're going through, uh, you know, implementation, we're trying to help explain to them, you know, how this type of would work in their manufacturing environment. And uh, they were really adamant about having individual production orders at each routing step. So think of a cell of four, you know, four steps in the router and each particular route, you know, each particular uh, routing step would have a production order. We're like, well, you know, we don't think it's going to work. They're a high volume plant. What they didn't realize is a lot of their phantom, the items should have been phantoms when they would create it. Because of the cell manufacturer, they were actually running in a fashion where things were being consumed from one step to another step with very little movement of somebody, right? Um, maybe it was a case going from one place to another place, but they're really never stocking that. That just stayed there in that cell, got consumed. And at the end of the line, the last cell, the last, the last work center, it was basically the finished good. The stuff in the middle never got stocked, never got, there was no physical inventory to it. Anytime something hit the first routing step, it always went down to the end as a finished good in that specific cell. I mean, talk about, uh, you know, a disaster manufacturing uh, sequencing project right there. I mean, they could not plan anything out because now you're planning down to each routing step instead of planning that cell. And everything should have just been rolled up. The bill of material should have been rolled up to the top level item that they're making, right? And all those routing steps should essentially have been part of the top level item, not the subcomponents underneath it, essentially, right? So, you know, this company was so adamant about being more or less a, you know, discrete manufacturer and having a production order for each individual sub 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 assembly instead of realizing, wait, that's not the way we should be planning. And we should be planning more at the top level consolidating our, our raw material because the way we're going to plan is actually at the cell. I mean, something goes in, it's going to come out the other end. Everything in work in process is never going to go on and be stopped at the end of the day. And that, that was an interesting uh, uh, scenario there. And we had, we had to go back and, and readjust all their items to make those phantom items instead of actually, you know, items that they would, they would stock, readjust their bill of materials, readjust routings. And then instead of getting, you know, 250 production orders across the floor, they were getting maybe, you know, 50 or 60, a lot more manageable, right? Now now they're able to sequence a little better, have priorities, understand, you know, what's coming next um, and have a happy client at the end of the day. But yeah, that's, you know, where a customer was really adamant about what way they thought that they should be handling their business, but not really understand the ERP consequence and, um, you know, how they should do that. And, you know, that's where, you know, we come in as experts and, you know, understand systems, understand how that should be practically applied to what users are doing on the floor. And I thought that was, that was a great example of how, you know, you, you you could take an environment, right, turn it upside down if you really don't understand job sequencing and planning properly because you need to understand the ERPs. Yeah, so that's a very interesting story. And I may have a related uh, story there. And I don't know if that was the production order for each of the sub-assembly or for each of the routing operation. So sub-assemblies, yeah. sub right? In yeah. my case, what I have seen is they had the production order for each of these steps, because the earlier the older ERP systems could not really support the whole depth of the bomb because yeah. it was too much processing power that they needed. So they had to really break it down to process mm -hmm. individually. That's how they were doing. Now that becomes your business process. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you are going to buy an ERP, my business is different. Yeah. This is how I work. Okay. Yeah. I release each single production order for a routing. And the customer has debated with me. I'm like, sir. <laughs> you are using this from 1970. <laughs> Today, this is 2020. Okay, <laughs> Things are a bit different. Okay, You need to change. 
no, no, my business is different. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it could be a fun conversation, Rav. Uh, love it. Uh, do you have any follow-up comments there? Yeah, I, you know, still to this day, I'll get, I'll get opportunities, and it would be a repetitive manufacturer, a process manufacturer that wants to split out the bill of materials into different, you know, uh, different uh, production orders. And I'm thinking in my head, why? You, you're going to create a backlog because think about all the transactions you have to do, right? Yeah, you know, that's going back to, Tom, you're saying the tribal knowledge, someone could manage that, right? Uh, and then catch catch the system up, quote unquote, and still process it through to keep the line flowing. But what happens at the end of the day when that person retires, right? Now they're sticking to how the system was set up. And now you have basically an accident waiting to happen, right? Line shutting down, right? You don't have a material that could come into the line, right? It's 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 an important you know piece that you know what is happening on the floor, who is doing it, and the ERP system. They all have to be aligned together. It has to mm-hmm. be a continuous circle in order for all this to work. Okay, amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Ralph, for that. So, Tom, any stories, comments, or comments? Uh, speaking of the 1970s, yeah, not not everything that was done in the 70s was dumb, but <laughs> some of it was rather, uh, shall we say, uh, artful. Uh, Nirav, when you talked about uh, giving visibility of work headed your way, I worked for about a decade under an operations manager that had his own very creative way of doing that without computers. He would actually create artificial backlog. He would overschedule everything so that all of the workers could visually, I mean, he, he kind of like invented visual factory before the term was known, mm-hmm. that he wanted them to see the pile of work waiting on them. So he basically lied to everybody about the urgency or the need date of everything. But that kind of led to another series of problems. And and Dave, I kind of loved it when you said, oh, my God, we don't want backlog. Well, okay. sometimes you have it. And there was this one particular guy that was uh, running, uh, in essence, a machine shop. It it was a feeder cell to uh, five buildings throughout throughout the plant. And people learned that he was running his priorities on need date. So just like the guy who's always late, so you lie to him about when the party starts, everybody started lying about when they need it to try to jump line because the need date was also the, you know, the, the relative urgency, not it, it, it was doing the dual purpose. And so he just, he couldn't stop it no matter how hard he tried. So he finally just gave up and said, forget it. We're going FIFO. You want your job out first, you get it to me first. If you don't get it to me, it's like, you know, your party will not be seated at the restaurant until all of your people are there. I'm sorry. I'm just done with the games. And it worked. It actually worked. It incentivized people to get their work done and to him so that they could get it back. You got to know the culture of your own work centers and and, and fit the, the scheme, fit, fit, you know, align the priorities accordingly. So I just, he was, he was a genius. Yeah. Could not agree more. In fact, I have another story there, uh, you know, on uh, your comment related to these creative solutions from 1970s. And we had a guy in our office and we are looking at uh, his screen and we had a little sequence diagrams, uh, you know, floor diagram that one, two, three, four, and a bunch of arrows all over the place. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? I mean, why do you sort of write on your screen? And this particular person, what he did is because the computers were very slow, right? And the processing would take roughly, what, half an hour to an hour. And then the person has to simply stare at the monitor. So what he had done, he had figured out that, you know what, 
you know, since it is going to take roughly half an hour for this processing, but each step is going to take roughly five to 10 minutes. So what I'm going to do is I am going to click at each of the places and have marking for those places on my screen and so that I can go for a coffee or maybe for a cigarette. <laughs> so that's what he used to do. He used to click on everything based on the markings that he had on the computer. <laughs> he could not find anything smarter than wow. that. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good one, yeah. Any, any, any follow-up uh, comments there, Tom? A anything else? Uh, you, sometimes you just have to love the ingenuity of the people that are actually problem-solving on the fly. <laughs> Yep, very interesting guys. So uh, we have roughly six minutes right now and I don't think we can do another round. So we can probably take very long closing advice today, <laughs> roughly a minute and a half. Uh, each person, so Mark, I'll start with you. Any sort of closing advice that you might have? Sure, yeah, it's um, just a couple of comments. It's, it's funny because within the last year, I, I had a, a client, the similar thing, and it, it wasn't the sub-assemblies. It was, they had sub-assemblies in addition to that, but it was literally like a four or five you know, departmental process. And this is this was an automotive. I mean, they were going from raw coil steel, you know, to a, to an automotive part with, you know, with just four or five operation steps. Right. But they would. And but the core, what what we found out was the the core issue was that um, the production folks fundamentally were were not going to and did not want to report quantity. So the reason they had a work order for every operation was that the the inventory people, so it was the inventory control people who would be in WIP and they would receive the material from one operation, right? And then they'd issue it out to the next operation. So, and that's the way they got their their uh, quantities reported through each operation step. And uh, so once once we addressed that core issue, then we then we were able, we were even allowed, right, to to put it together in four operation work. So it was amazing. So. Um, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. So I, I wanted to share that. The um, I want to make a comment about, uh, and I, I think it was Tom who mentioned utilization and um, and kind of a la, you may know, you know, kind of a la Gold Rat, right? You, you, uh, Gold Rat, you know, TOC doesn't, he doesn't like local Optima, right? Which you often see and when you walk through a, a, a manufacturing plan is in, in different work centers or departments, you'll see the, the paper graph, you know, what's my utilization, what's my efficiency in this department. Right? So um, and there's there's a lot of, of, of issues with, you know, you can you can flood, you, you can bring your utilization way up if you if you ask for more material, you know, hey, as soon as you get material, get it over to me, you know, so my utilization. Right. Um, so that all seems to make sense when you're looking at cost, you know, from a, a unit costing standpoint and how am I utilizing my resources and all that. Um, of course, TOC was, was saying, you know, you, you want to get to as, as much utilization as possible in your bottleneck resources, but the others, mm -hmm. you don't, you're just flooding whip to make those more. But the, the point I wanted to, the one thing that even Goldrat didn't, uh, he may have said it somewhere in one of his books, I, I haven't found it, but it was in a different book called Factory Physics where I learned this, and that is the, that utilization is directly correlated, exponentially correlated with queue time, right? So so the higher your utilization goes, the longer your queue times are within each department, meaning the mm -hmm. longer and longer your lead time is. And, and production mm -hmm. folks know this intuitively, right? Gee, the, the busier we get, the longer our lead right. times are, right? And and that's, so that's a side effect of, of trying to artificially boost up utilization. 
is your lead times are okay amazing thank you so much mark so now we have to uh, do the real time job sequencing here we have to rush it quickly i guess we have just two minutes now so closing advice uh dave <laughs> absolutely uh as we were saying material planners absolutely important critical folks that you're looking to have good material planners will make your lives easier bad material planners will make you go look for another job Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, Niraf, closing advice, please. Yeah, no, job sequence is the lifeblood of any business. Make sure products are out to customers on time. You know, what I would challenge customers to do, uh, prospects to do out there, is look at what your current lead time is, routing lead times for a specific part, and look at have you been meeting that same lead time historically for that same part through production. You'll find out a lot of answers. How about? Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Niraf, for that. Closing advice, Tom, please. Um, build trust. Build trust through honesty between workers and supervisors, between the humans and the machines, between the upper management and lower management. The more people actually trust when you tell them, I need this, the more likely they are to actually respond in good faith. Love it. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, guys. That's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was uh, part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another topic. And next week is going to be our last show for the year. So make sure you guys are not going to miss that. On that note, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Time. Thank you, everyone. Bye, guys. Thanks, all. Thanks, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Mark Lilly, head over to lillyworks.com. It's L-I-L-L-Y-W-O-R-K-S. Com. If you want to learn more about Tom Pierce, head over to i2s.us. It's i2s.us. If you want to learn more about Dave Griffith, head over to dave-griffith.com. It's d-a-v-e-g-r-i-f-f-i-t-h.com. If you want to learn more about Nilav Shah, head over to hrserp.com. It's a-d-c-i-r-r-u-s-e-r-p.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Niraf Shah, who shares his insights into the process challenges of make-to-order manufacturers. Also, the interview with Megan Gamble, who shares her insights into building the systems for the packaging industry. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.